Well, good morning. It is great to have you here once again on this WanaFest parade day where it's going to be just a wonderful 90 degrees outside. So I hope you picked out and planned your spots carefully so that you have some sunshine or brought your umbrella, whatever the case may be. Kids, grab all the candy because you definitely are going to need to be running around after sitting in this heat. So welcome to Northridge again. There's something that we say every week because it is really this important to us. We want you to know that Northridge is a safe place. It's a place to come and ask questions. It's a place to try to grow in your personal walk with Jesus. It's a place to try to discover answers to questions that maybe you have, or maybe realizing questions are there that you didn't know you have. Whatever it is, we want you to try to connect with our community here at Northridge, with one of the pastors, and just know that wherever you are in your walk, if you are just starting out and you're not even sure you believe in this stuff, or if you've been walking with God a really long time, this is a safe place for you. So we're in the middle of a series called Different for a Change. And we're looking at how God asks us to be different and how that can impact our lives for the positive and for the positive of those around us. Now this series has kind of established itself because we're basing it off of 12 phrases that were written at the beginning of this year by Pastor Brent's dad, whose name is Pastor Dan. These phrases were written as a reflection of things that he would do differently. And it was just kind of one of those things where every once in a while it's good to take stock and just kind of assess. What the uh, surprise ended up being, not a good one, was about six weeks later he received a sudden cancer diagnosis. And then just shortly after that he passed away, um, which has been very challenging and very difficult but through it all we continue to know that God is good and he is with us and so as we go through these phrases sometimes they touch really tender points and sometimes they're really difficult to try to work through and try to listen to but always there's the opportunity for us to grow so for those of you who don't know me my name is Chris Bickett and I am the student ministries pastor here at Northridge and that means that typically I would be hanging out with the kiddos in the children's ministry which is birth through fifth grade and then we also have our club 56ers that I get to hang out with and have a lot of fun. They keep me on my toes to say the least. So in this series there's something that you have to realize. When I told you that the series was set what we meant was those 12 phrases were simply going in order. Now what you need to realize is that a lot of times when the, the sermon planning team plans our series, we decide what needs to go in what order and then we kind of assess who wants to take what tweak. And typically Pastor Brent is really kind to me and says, which one do you want? So I get to choose the one I want. That has not been the case this time. He jokingly said to me, you get what you get. And then he laughed because he knew that it was true. There was no getting around this one. So I have preached two of them that we've gone through so far a few weeks ago, and it was kind of like, God, okay, these are mine. All right, we'll do this. All right, I'll learn it. And then this week came along, and I was like, God, we really need to chat. Like, this didn't need to be my week. But something is really important here, and I want you to hear this very, very carefully. God never makes mistakes. He never makes mistakes. And so no matter how difficult things get, God never makes mistakes. And I hold on to it because of 2 Samuel 22, which is up on the screen, verses 30 through 32. It says, God's ways is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. 
He is a shield for those who look to him for protection. All of God's ways are perfect. There are no mistakes. So no matter how tender some of these messages may get for you, realize that they are there for a purpose and it is for our betterment and for God to have his work inside of us. So some of you are like, all right, Chris, what's up with this week? What are we talking about? So on this happy Wannafest parade day, here's our topic. Criticize less and affirm more. Now I'm guessing you guys can understand which way I probably lean on this one based on how I introduced it. We're not having a lot of jumping up and down. And like I said, I was like, really God, this one, this is the one that I have to get, this one. And God said, yes, just wait and see what I'm going to do. So criticism is something that none of us are strangers to. Some of us are really good at it. Some of us receive it. And the question becomes, how often does it impact our life? How often are we giving it? And how often are we receiving it? So you can maybe guess, based on my comments, that I tend to have a critical nature naturally. I wouldn't say it came from my parents, but I have been a detailed-oriented person from the time I was really young. I wanted things my way, and I wanted to do things a specific way, and I had very strong opinions, and I wasn't afraid to really let you know what my opinions were. This served me really well as I grew older, because then once I got into high school, and started in junior high, but high school and college, I actually was a debater. So it actually paid my way through school because I was really good at presenting arguments, but my specialty, I was the first negative. Does that tell you something? Yeah. On the teams, you have affirmative and negative. I was the first negative speaker, which meant I had to pick out all of the little details that were wrong with the other team's plan. And I was really good at it. Really good. So good that it paid my way through school. That should tell you something. So like I said, I came by it naturally, and I also developed it. I trained, and I was good. When it comes to those situations being critical or detail-oriented like that is actually really positive. But when I took that nature and those abilities and I turned it around for relationships and people, suddenly it wasn't such a great thing. Some of us understand when we get criticized a lot that it's kind of hurtful, that it doesn't feel good. And a lot of times when we criticize other people, it doesn't feel good. When things don't go our way, we tend to criticize. It tends to bring out that point in us that we want to make our own point or we want to try to change things. And so how we present it may not always come across in the kindest way. I want to read a few reviews that came in from an actual beach vacation resort. So these are reviews that customers wrote into this resort after they had stayed at their location. Here's the first one. I'll let you guys rank these on the critical scale. The beach was too sandy. We had to clean everything when we got back to our room. This is an actual review. All right, number two. <laughs> no one told us there would be fish in the water. Our children were scared, right? Here's one that I, I, might, I might abide by. I was bitten by a mosquito. Your brochure did not mention mosquitoes, right? And here's my ultimate favorite. I compared the size of our one bedroom, our one bedroom suite, to our friend's three bedroom suite 
and ours was significantly smaller. We're like, people. <laughs> At some point, you just wonder, like, where's the crazy train taking you? Like, one bedroom versus three bedroom, yes, it's going to be smaller, right? But these critiques come in as a reflection of what they thought of their stay. It was their way to air their discontent because it didn't meet their expectations. A lot of times we can use criticism for that. We can also use it for the intention, like we talked about earlier, of maybe hurting somebody intentionally. We can use it towards trying to get our way, or we can use it to try to put somebody in their place. For the sake of today, and for all of our feelers out there, this is not the focus we're taking. For the sake of clarity, you can see on the screen, we're going to focus on criticism that comes from the intention of trying to be helpful or helping a person or improving a situation or organization. So we're not attacking this from the, I'm going to be extremely critical and mean to you to hurt you. We're going to be looking at criticism and affirmation today from the perspective of when we use it to try to help a person or an organization. Most people have a helping nature. When they get into situations, they want to try to help, or they want to try to fix. Some people notice it a little more easily because that's their tendency. Other people, if you point it out, they'll step in and they're helping. But what we have to realize is that along the way of trying to grow and be successful, we're involved with a lot of different people in our lives. We have impact in a lot of different ways. And so how we respond when we receive criticism or affirmation is going to be extremely important. Because whether we criticize or whether we affirm somebody, both will achieve results. You can see on the screen, we have affirm and criticize, and then results are hanging out there. It doesn't matter which avenue we take, we are going to get a result. So today, we're going to look at what some of those results are. Webster tells us to criticize is, first of all, to consider the merits and demerits of and judge accordingly and to evaluate. The second definition is to find fault with or to point out the faults of. So basically, when we start talking about criticizing, what we're saying is that we're judging something. We're trying to determine if it's worthwhile or not, and the standards aren't always fair. When we criticize, we end up judging, and we point out all of the problems that are there. We start trying to figure out what caused the problem, where did this go wrong, who caused this problem, and we start focusing on all of the negatives. Listen to what the Bible has to say about judging. It says, do not judge others. We just need to stop there. Do not judge others. It seems so easy to do, and yet it is so hard sometimes. It goes on and says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others and the standard you use in judging will be which you are judged. So basically, whatever we are giving, we are ultimately going to end up receiving. So putting it into a perspective of that as we move forward. So some of us are saying, Chris, I'm a helpful person. I can be detail-oriented, but I'm a helpful person. I don't judge. We need to take that definition off the table. And I'm going to say, let me ask you a few questions. 
When you see a problem or a person struggling with something, what is your initial internal response? Do you notice the problems or do you notice the good? This one can be hard sometimes. When somebody is struggling with something and you can see what is in the way of them reaching what they want to achieve, do you give helpful pointers or tell them from your perspective what the flaws are and how they can change it to make it better? How about some of you that are extremely confident, you notice a problem and you let that person know. This is a problem, it's not acceptable, and it needs to be fixed. But it's done in a kind way. All of these are avenues for criticism to happen. The intention is to find the flaw and to fix the flaw. The problem happens when we start addressing the person and not the problem. A lot of times we tend to share positive criticism without being asked for it. My children will tell you that I give them lots of helpful advice that is not always warranted. Stop shaking your head. When we're trying to be positive and we're evaluating a position or an organization or a process or a structure, we need to notice what the mistakes are in order to try to improve them. Improve them. But what happens is when we approach it from a critical perspective, we're focusing on the negative. I happen to be a two on the Enneagram and what that means is I'm a helper and I'm a feeler. So naturally, when you put a helper and a feeler with a critically natured person, I am going to notice what needs to be wrong, not because I think it is necessarily bad all of the time, but because it bugs me and I want to fix it. You may have nothing to do with it, but if you are part of that problem, it may come across when I try to positively critique the situation that you're messing up. That's not my intention. I think a lot of times we get stuck with our intentions of trying to be helpful, but how we present it comes off negative. When we receive criticism, especially when it's unsolicited criticism, a lot of times what it does is it confirms an internal fear that most of us have. It confirms that internal fear that I'm not enough or I'm not good enough. Thoughts will go through our head like, I will never achieve, I will never be able to, I'm not good enough. All of those things can get into a negative spin cycle when we criticize or critique without a person wanting that input, no matter how helpful we're trying to be. So let's take an example that shows us a perspective of criticizing and affirming. So this summer, my son joined a baseball team and it's his first time playing baseball other when he was like five years old and he like literally spun circles and picked flowers in the field. That was my kid. He did not have that natural like drive, that competitive spirit to go get it. And that was okay, he was five. But now he's 11 and so he's in the rec team. It's not the competitive team because we want him to learn how to play baseball. We want him to learn the skills in order to do this. So we tried giving him a few pointers because my husband and I both played softball when we were kids up and through like college and young adult ages. So we know the basics of the game. Ultimately, I ended up being like an assistant assistant coach. And so I was in the dugout with the team helping in there. And I can be very vocal when I need to. 
What I didn't realize was my competitive spirit that was extremely strong when I was younger, I thought had gone dormant. Oh, it was very much alive. <laughs> they got out on that field and I tell you what, this quick tongue started unleashing. Do this, don't do that, no, 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 go here, back up, no, don't do that, hit, swing level, come on, yeah, oh. There was a lot of quick tongue action. What I noticed was that my son is just kind of like backing off going, mom, whatever, I know, I know. That became his go-to response, I know, I know. And in my helpful critiquing, I said, no, you don't know, right? If I'm telling you, you don't know. I'm helping you. So he began <laughs> using the back door of the dugout, kind of avoiding me, because you can get in two doors in the dugout. So as I'm doing this for about the second or third game, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just kind of tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, hey, Chris, do you remember that podcast you listened to? And I had to really stop and think a minute, and I was like, <laughs> all right, God. You see, the podcast I had listened to that he was so timely reminding me of was a gentleman who had talked about his son who was playing a sport. And he said after every game, he would talk to his son and he would say, all right, so these are the things that went wrong. What can we do to work on them? He would come off and he would say, yep, I know you missed that or that wasn't good. You know, what can we do to shore that up? He said about partway through the season, what he started noticing was his son was like withdrawing into himself didn't really enjoy playing the game anymore, didn't really want to practice, didn't want to participate. He realized that it was kind of going the wrong direction and he had an aha moment. So what he said to his son after the next game was, hey, I just want to ask you one question. What was one thing you did right today? What is one thing you were proud of? And he said his son paused because he was so used to being able just to rattle off all the negative things, the flaws that had happened during his game, that he couldn't come up with a positive answer right away. So then he did it the next game. Hey, what was one positive from your game today? What was one thing you're proud of? He said after a couple of days it became much easier and his son was able to respond quicker with something that was good that he was proud of in that game. And over the next several games, he noticed his son began re-engaging. He began connecting again. Because dad was afraid that he was going to be too soft on him by not helping him fix all of the mistakes he had made in the game, the opposite was actually true. When he began asking him to focus on the positive, his son started noticing all the positive around him. He started wanting to get better because he knew what he was good at and it was easier to go after that than to try to correct all of the problems. His son eventually became extremely good and I think he went on to get a scholarship in this sport. And he said it was just really important to realize that by helping his son to focus on the positive made him be a better player than trying to correct all of the flaws that were happening in the game. So what I realized was I needed to hold my tongue with my son. He was going to make mistakes because he didn't know the game, right? He's learning, he is 11. This quick ton did not need to correct him into being a professional player. I needed to let him know the important things he had to know for safety and for, you know, good sportsmanship, but I didn't need to correct every single mistake that was happening. And when I backed off, he was able to start enjoying the game more. 
He wanted to hang out with the team. Even after he broke his arm and he can't play, he still wants to be with the team because it is a team sport and he is able to encourage and be there with his team. This story really is an example of what Ephesians 4.29 tells us. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, I know most of us are saying, I don't use foul and abusive language. I don't, I don't say that towards my coworker. I don't say that towards my significant other or my kids. But the truth is, if we're coming at it from a critical nature and it's not meant to encourage, then it can become abusive. It can become harmful. So we need to try to shift into what is saying good and helpful and encouragement. Because our kids know when they mess up. They know when they mess up, just like we know when we mess up. And our coworkers know when they mess up. We know it. We don't need to be corrected 24-7 in order to try to be better people. We know when we mess up. So why do I say these things? Because it feels kind of heavy. I say these things because this principle is true. Affirmation is more powerful than criticism in every avenue of life. Affirmation is more powerful than criticism in every avenue of life. It doesn't matter if it's sports, it doesn't matter if it's work, it doesn't matter if it's our friendships or our relationships or our family. Every time we are affirmative more than we are critical, it helps our relationships grow. It helps the individual grow. Affirmation is taking a focus on what is positive in the situation. What is the good? Pastor and author Josh Gagnon is quoted as saying, see the good and expect it. See the bad and correct it. Affirm more than correct. We're not saying ignore what needs to be fixed because that's not healthy either. What we're saying is when you see what needs to be fixed, work on it through an affirmation perspective. Helping the person, pointing out the good, allow them to lean into that. Because what we focus on is what we notice. A lot of times we see the negative because we train ourselves to see the negative. The good is kind of like a sidebar for us. We need to shift it so that the affirmative, the good, is what we see first, and then we can address the negative that comes after it. Sometimes I think when we talk about blinders, you know, focusing on what is in front of us, I think sometimes we use our blinders wrong. Take a look at this picture. This is an actual product. It's called the focus cap. Like you flip the little sides down so you can focus. The problem becomes we've gotten really good at focusing on all of the negative, everything that needs to be fixed. I think what we need to do in this situation is we need to get those flaps up so that we can see everything around us to start noticing the good. And then that will help us to begin focusing on the good more than the negative. We need to see the good and expect it. And the only way that we're going to see the good is when we work on affirmation. 
So go back to baseball for just a minute. We know that pitching is a crucial element to baseball. We know that it needs to be good pitching in order for things to happen, right? The pitcher knows that too. So when the pitcher is having an off day and they can't get strikes across the plate or they're walking people, a lot of times the response is a lot of verbal assistance from the coaches, from teammates, from parents, from the crowd. It doesn't matter if you are little league, if you are big league. When the pitching is off, there's a lot of verbal coaching going on. Now we would assume that this pitcher has no idea what he is doing wrong or she, right? Like I'm telling you what you need to correct. I can tell you from experience that being on that pitcher's mound, the pitcher is extremely aware when things are going well and things are not going well. And the additional pressure from all of the other verbal, coaching, helpful comments only adds pressure. It's not actually helpful. There may be a few comments the coach can make to help do some things strategy-wise to improve it, but most of the time, if your form is correct, pitching is a mental practice. We need to bring out the positive. There was one game where a coach was talking to our pitcher when he was coming off. And mind you, these are like 11 and 12 and 13 year olds. And the other team has scored several runs on us that inning. But here's what the coach said to the pitcher. Hey, you know what? You're getting some good pitches in there. That's why they're hitting them so well. Don't worry about those runs. If you weren't pitching well, they wouldn't be hitting. Focus on that. Now we need to practice fielding them. So what he's saying to that pitcher is, hey, you maybe threw some balls, you maybe walked somebody, and yeah, they got hits that like went to the back fence and they scored some runs on us, but that's okay. Because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're throwing good pitches. They can't get good hits off of bad pitches. Keep pitching. Keep going for it. We need to see the good and we need to expect it from ourselves, from others, and from God. Craig Groeschelle is a real known pastor. He does a lot of leadership podcasts, so he does a lot of advice and wisdom, and he actually wrote a book that was released during the pandemic. He wrote a book that's called Winning the War in Your Mind. You can see it on the screen or you can see it here. When I told you at the beginning, God never makes mistakes, I wasn't joking. This book, Winning the War on Your Mind, was thought of and written before the pandemic was ever a thought. It was published during the pandemic. This became a top-selling book before it even hit the bookshelves because of the way people who had reviewed it were talking about it. Pastor Craig is very good about being honest about how he struggles because pastors are people, normal people, just a different title and a different occupation. He talks in this book about how he has struggled over the years with self-confidence and how he has struggled with wondering what God is doing and is he in the right place, all kinds of different things, negativity, self-criticism. And he addresses how God has helped walk him through some of those things and some of the things he's still walking through. Now, the one thing you have to realize is when I share resources like this, these are not what I consider quick fixes. 
They're exactly that, they're a resource for us to look at somebody who has gone through the experience, has some wisdom that they're sharing, and then it enables us along our journey to put in the hard work to grow. So Pastor Craig, you can see it's quite marked up, plus I have a lot of ink on the inside, was talking about what he calls God's collateral goodness. Now it seems a little strange when we say that because a lot of times when we're focusing on the negative, we know what collateral damage is, right? When something happens and then damage occurs all around us to people or places. Pastor Craig is talking about God's collateral goodness. What happens in our past, how God can use it, and what he wants to do in us in the future. Listen to what he says. He says, like any good habit, looking for God's collateral goodness requires practice. If you look for what's bad, you will find the bad. If you look for what's negative, you will find plenty to be negative about. If you look for things to be critical of, there is always going to be something to criticize. What we focus on is what we see. He goes on, goes on, goes on, on, and says, on the other hand, if you look for God's goodness, you'll see it. You'll start seeing his fingerprints and occasionally feel like he's winking at you. As you pay attention to how God is working, you will also find yourself seeing the good in people. This practice will change your relationships. Your attitude will be transformed, and the right attitude always precedes the right actions. What Pastor Craig is telling us is we need to look for the positive in others, but we also need to look for the positive that God is doing in us, through us, and around us. Because when we start noticing the good things and we start pointing out the good things in others, it changes our attitudes, it changes our perspectives, it changes how we interact with people, which changes our relationships. That is what we are working towards. Affirming what is right allows for personal growth. When we point out things and we step in trying to fix things, what we do is we stunt the growth of the other person. We say that my way is better, I can fix it, and ultimately, we let them off the hook for any ownership within this. If we truly want people to grow, we need to give affirmation for what they are doing well, because then along the way, they can begin correcting and making changes. It changes our relationships, our attitudes, and that changes our actions. Take a look at the diagram one more time because we were talking about results. You can see that when we critique, we limit the other people by negativity. We're pointing out all of their flaws. I don't know about you, but I don't like to try harder when constantly telling me how I'm messing up, even in a helpful way. We also send people into the fear or avoidance stance. They're gonna do things better because they don't want to get in trouble. And they become other motivated. I'll do as much as you want, and that's going to be the limit of it. Because if I go above and beyond, there's a good chance that I'll get judged or critiqued for it. When we affirm more, we allow for personal growth for ourselves and for the other people. 
It allows them to have self-confidence and ownership, to see the good, and to continue working to grow through it. We want God's best for us and for others, not man's best, because God's best is limitless. There's a lot that God can do that we just cannot. We need to aim for God's best. So for those of us that may be slightly critical in nature naturally, or maybe we have perfectionistic tendencies or we're just very helpful most of the time, there's a few things we can do to try to shift this to affirming more. The first thing we need to do is notice if we lean towards criticism or if we lean towards affirmation. We all have natural bents, like I said, and some of them get reinforced or enhanced based on what we do and how we do it. But we need to know, am I internally, even if I'm not saying it, taking a critical nature, or am I seeing the good and can turn it into affirmation? Then that helps us do the second thing. Instead of asking, or instead of like just giving our helpful advice unsolicited, we need to practice asking questions. And then we need to listen. For some of us that like to fix things, listening is really hard. We need to ask questions and then listen. Questions help us understand the entire situation. Questions help us understand the process that led to where we are. Questions help us figure out what has been done and why the results are where they are. We need to also try this, and this has been something very helpful for me in my household. We need to try using what and how. What and how instead of why. What and how allows us to open up a conversation and invite the other person into thinking through things. When we use the word why, most of the time it creates a defensive stance. Think about it. Why did you put your shoes there? Why did you do this? Why did you park the car there? Why didn't you pick up your room? We can get a lot of answers to why, but I don't know about you, when I do a, why didn't you pick up your room? I usually either don't get an answer or it's not an answer that I like. And the result is not my kid going to clean up their room afterwards. What has to follow is me critiquing, go clean your room, I told you, right? When we open up with a what or a how, it changes the perspective. Maybe there was something going on that day and it was a really hard day. Maybe I'm having a really hard day and I'm coming at this the wrong way. Maybe there's stressors going on in work or at home life or in relationships that we have no idea are impacting the results that we see in front of us. So we need to open up and ask more questions and listen so that we don't enter into the defensive and shut people down. The third thing that's actually really important is to assume positive first. We need to assume the positive first before we go to the negative side of things. When we assume positive first, what happens is it opens us up again to being able to ask the questions, to be able to be receptive to what has actually happened, but it also allows us to focus on what solutions can be instead of just fixing the problems. When we fix the problems, those are momentary stop gaps. When we work on trying to figure out solutions, those are long-term that actually benefit our end results. The last thing we can do 
this one may be hard too, ask if our help is wanted. For helpers, for those of us who like to interject, for those of us that tend to have the detail critical orientation that we want to make it perfect for other people so that we feel comfortable, we need to ask if our help is wanted. Because most of the time, our help is not wanted. When we approach it from a critical manner, most of the time our help is not wanted. When we offer people the option of having our help, what it does is it opens us up to the conversations, it allows us to listen again, but it also allows the other person to have ownership. Can they do it on their own and do they need your help? They can give you an honest answer. It also allows us to back out of a situation so that we become a safe person. When we offer the option of helping or not, that person knows they can tell us the truth and we won't be offended by it. And then when they do need help, they can come and ask. If all we're doing is constantly interjecting and constantly helping, when they see us, that's what they expect. On the other hand, if we approach it from, do you need help or can I help you in any way? It allows them to have control of their situation, their circumstance, and then we can be helpful when needed. At the beginning, I told you that some of the messages are pointier than others. They hit tender spots. This one was a really tender spot for me. You see, I've struggled with criticism all my life. And the hard part is, like I told you, I'm a helper, so I want to help. But what God did for me in this one this week was he gave me a timeout. He said, Chris, I really want you to notice something. And this is not audibly. This is internally. But I was saying, God, I can't preach on this one. This one is too close to home. This is one I really struggle with still. I can't preach on this one. And God said, yes, you can. You see, while I was struggling through all of that, what God so kindly pointed out to me <clears throat> was look at where you are now compared to where you were. Where I am now compared to where I was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, has been steady, slow progressions towards the better. Not perfect, but better. God works in our weaknesses. He never makes mistakes. Criticize less, affirm more, is a lesson I still need to hear. The practical steps I'm giving you are very practical ones that I am working on right now. God was very kind because a lot of times we beat ourselves up and think I'm still struggling with this after how many years? Why can't I just be done with it? And God says, I'm still working in you. Keep going. So my prayer for you today is that you take a time out with God. Whatever your area is, wherever he's touching that tender point this morning, that you just get a little time and say, where am I now, God, and where have I been? 
no matter how small the changes or the improvements, no matter how much we still struggle with it, God is working and it is good. Proverbs 16.24 says, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. When we affirm other people and give them the opportunity to grow, it allows us to grow as well. Having a healthy mindset, a healthy body, is something that we all want. And we can be a part of that by working on criticizing less and affirming more wherever we can. Will you pray with me, please? Jesus, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for time together. We thank you to be able to worship with you through song, through your word, through our friendships, through communications. I pray this morning that you would continue to be at work in our lives, that you would continue to work on the pointy parts that are kind of hard to accept, that are kind of painful. Help us to recognize areas that you're working in us and you're going to continue working. May we be reminded this week of ways that we can affirm others more, of ways that we can reduce our criticism, even when we have the best of intentions. Help us to focus on that. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you that your blood covers all of our sins and mistakes so that we can be in a relationship with you and we can continue to grow closer to you. Be with us throughout the rest of our day. Keep us safe for those who are traveling, for those who are in Wanafest, for those who are in the parade. May it just be a day that we notice your good all around us. Help us to keep our focus there. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.